Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham. And with me, two special guests, uh, Damid and Mar- Marina. How are you guys doing? Cool. Doing great. Thanks for having us. All right. So th- this is the part of the podcast where I ask our guests, which is yourselves, about yourself, where you've been, where you're at, where you're heading. Just a little introduction to our viewers and listeners out there. So, Demid, please go ahead first. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm Demid. I'm a co-founder of All Correct. Um, just founded this company with my friend 17 years ago. So, basically, uh, we're a service business um helping other game developers and publishers to ship their games um they're awesome games and also i'm an indie developer for the last seven years on the side making my own stuff um so that's about it i guess so yeah i live in ireland with my three kids and a dog um and there you go marina <laughs> That was important part, part to add. Thank you. So I'm Marina. Uh, I'm head of localization production at All Correct. With All Correct for six and a half years now, and I've started as a project manager and slowly made my way to management. I love everything localization related, video games, languages, different cultures. So I enjoy every day of my work. And it's quite easy to do what you love. That's it. All right. I'm based in Serbia. So there's a lot of question here. Uh, it sounds like your team is remote. Um, has it always been like that? Or do you guys have a like a unified office somewhere? We have COVID to thank for that, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> So Demid was remote for many years. Uh, and if you want to share the story of you moving to Ireland, please <laughs> go ahead. I mean, I mean, we, we, we are remote and we are not. So it's, it's a mixed bag, I would say. So we, we do have offices uh, and, you know, presence in different countries. So our production HQ is currently in Serbia, in Novi Sad, which is a beautiful place. 
Um, and uh, I'm based in Ireland. One of my business partners is based in Toronto, Canada. Um, so, you know, some other people in Spain, um, in other countries. So a lot of, a lot of um, yeah, spread all over the globe, I would say. As we probably should, we, 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 we're, we're helping now developers ship their games worldwide, right? So why not, why not um, be spread around the globe? Yeah. Uh, so, your specific discipline, your guys' specific field, is definitely a, a huge part of game development that doesn't really get discussed much, right? I think no. at least with internal teams, it's kind of like a big mystery. At least to me, you know, working in these bigger teams like AAA teams, I, I never really have any insight on and on that side. But it's actually pretty integral to kind of have a global scale recognition of your game uh, in these different areas and different languages to kind of make it work. Can you kind of provide some mm. background into this? Absolutely. Yeah, industry? absolutely. I, I will, I will start maybe um, high level and then Marina will, will um, help me with the, with the uh, specifics, but generally I think uh, game localization is a thing that is very often overlooked and it's something that you don't notice until it's really bad or unless it's really bad right so um it's and it's like with um it's it's the same with basically any sort of translation or interpretation if it's there you just think oh you know that's normal that's i i i gather these i i get this information i process it i hear it i enjoy it whatever you don't really notice that it's there right so as as long as as soon as it get screwed up that's when you notice it's it's missing mm. um so i think that's one of the reasons why um you know translations in general and game localization in particular is a bit overlooked um but also i think there is there's one thing that localization normally comes in at the end of the development cycle right because you normally need maybe 80% of the text content locked in before you uh, before you engage a localization team. And you know yourself very well, Brandon, that a lot of games, most games get delayed. Some games get delayed like 120, 200% um, of the original, you know, a lot of timeline and time budget. So by the time it gets to localization, the game is already late for for shipment, right? Late for publishing. So everybody's rushing it up. And um, uh, then the people kind of, kind of think, oh, you know, we also need this localized, you know? So it's uh, it's a bit of an afterthought. It's, so it's it's not part of the core development process, at least in, in the producer's head, maybe heads, or I don't know, in project manager's heads, in heads of production, I don't know, game designers. It's still a mystery even to me, I don't know, but you know, it's, I, it, it's it's hard to say. It's probably art and programming and game design are more visible um, from in in pre-production stages. That's why you know localization is not. I don't know, Marina. Do you, do you have any any thoughts on this? What do you think? Uh, yes, uh, I only have to agree with all you said because by the time we receive the text, most of the deadlines are already already missed. And the only thought is we have to release as soon as possible. Please do whatever to increase uh, increase our chances to release as soon as possible. 
So, and um, localization is a little bit more expensive than you think. And by the time the game is ready for release, the budgets sometimes, in many cases, are already a little bit uh, tight. Uh, so, yes, localization is a difficult process and it is a problem, especially with uh, indie developers who release their games for the first time. Just People just don't think of localization in far in advance. And that's a pity because it's very interesting and if plans well, uh, you have all the opportunities to release in different markets at once and save a little bit in marketing. So basically, basically uh, we're in a tight corner um, as, as a service provider um, that provides localization service because, you know, they're, they, you know, it's a crunch. Uh, multiplied by a crunch is is the is the is the biggest crunch you can imagine always you know so development teams may start easy and nice and relaxed and then they stop crunching before the release but because we come late in the development cycle we're always crunching because everybody wants stuff shipped fast and localization done very quick um, and sometimes it's just it's just not possible to deliver the best result you know so we do whatever we can but sometimes even i remember our first project was first gaming project was age of con and hyborian adventures and that was in 2008 and it had like uh, about 900,000 words which we needed localized from english into russian and then we had like 3 months to do that or something like that um so i think and there was no way the publisher was going to move this deadline um, so we had, I think there were 11 translators and three or four editors working on this localization and also proofreaders and project managers and stuff. And, you know, you, you, it's not the best practice mm-hmm. to, to um, you know, to say the least, you know. Is that a, a average team if you describe a a typical project where you're receiving a script in this case right and you have to translate it to a certain language is it usually looking at 11 translators and three editors per language or is it just every language that you have to translate well how does it it depends yeah it really depends depends on the volume depends on the deadlines depends on the project because for smaller projects of course the the less people are involved in the process the better the final quality is but we have a process that allows us to manage the final quality even with a bigger team so uh, a typical mobile game with not a lot of words for example a mobile game with free-to-play model which has like weekly events so bi-weekly events we will have like project manager working on the with the clients with the developers we will have one or two linguists working on this particular project and that's it language you mean you mean you mean per target language yeah, I mean, per one language. And of course, we do multi-language localization. So if the game requires several languages, it's several teams of linguists working at once. 
Yeah, so I think I think I would add it's not so much the so the number the number of people on the team producing the localization goes not into kind of horizontal scaling where you have a lot of uh, translators working in the same um, title, but it's rather you know you have a terminology specialist working um, to analyze the original game and to create a glossary of all the te- of all the terms in the in the game, and there is the translator who translates the content, and then there is the um, editor who uh, edits it, and or or a quality control specialist who do who does spot checks to see if there are any issues, and then there is a proofreader, and then maybe um, some other people like maybe there is a there is a subject matter experts say if we're translating a game um, about history right with a lot of historical content or a sports game or a racing game there will be a lot of specialist terms that even the best translator wouldn't always get right 100 percent of the times so we need also like to have a like subject matter experts on the team so yeah they they number even even in the best case scenario we will still have quite a bit of you know, quite, quite, quite a big, big size team, but it's not, it's not because um, the content is split, you know, unless again, the deadlines are tight and then, um, you know, we have to just, um, I think on our feet and do whatever we can to deliver the best result possible, which is, you know, sometimes just good enough, but you know, we're, we're doing whatever we can. Uh, it's generally, I think, a good idea to have no more than, say, three translators per one editor, because then when it goes above that, you need two editors to um, harmonize the text, you know, and the style and everything. And then who's going to harmonize the editor's text, right? Then you need <laughs> it. It's endless, you know. So It's so, a pyramid. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of a Ponzi scheme even. So we would <laughs> try to avoid those um, as much as possible. Um, you know, so and and then typically, Marina mentioned, you know, mobile games. Um, well, mobile games are you. They usually have like ten or languages or more, depending on the publisher, of course. But like uh, middle-sized, big, bigger-sized publishers have ten, fifteen languages, maybe. Um, we usually know no, not not less than seven or eight. You know, normally, unless it's an independent, like a small indie game. Um, so they generally want uh, us to deliver multi-language localizations simultaneously in all of those languages. And that's actually where our, I would say, DNA comes from. Uh, because if you compare us to some bigger localization companies, service companies, uh, even like public service companies working in the game space, they usually started as maybe local country distributors for games, right? So they distribute physical copies of, of, of games on, on, on floppy disks and CDs and stuff. And they had uh, and they usually specialized in one or two languages for their for their specific territory, say for Italy or for Germany, for Spain. Um, and then when the things got into digital distribution and when it was easy to sim ship games globally especially with mobile games where you just check the boxes in your google play console or apple developer console and boom it goes it goes live everywhere you know um with these games i think um not all of the competitors could could scale their uh competence to to do all of these you know 
So some of them can, but it's it's hard because they can do their 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 narrow thing very very well, and they can also do like amazing voiceovers and amazing um, things like that, you know. And, and kudos to them, it's great. But but we come from say multilingual first approach, I would say. Mm -hmm. So do you guys cover mostly text to text translation, or do you guys provide dubbing or in engine development? Like how? What, what is the usual case scenario for you guys? If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Maria? Well, for us, we mostly do text translation just because there is more context, content, game content in the form of text. We do dubbing, but as Dimit already mentioned, first of all, not all the games require dubbing. Uh, not every game can afford uh, voiceover, especially uh, multilingual voiceover. Uh, we work with our partners, uh, some studios in Ireland and Canada to, uh, to have like actors from all over the world uh, dubbing uh, the games in English and Spanish and so on. Uh, but that is like three percent of the of our games mm -hmm. that require voiceover. Unfortunately, yeah, I mean, I mean, when when you ask this question, Brandon, it's um, we all need to keep in mind like what's the biggest chunk of games there in the market now? Like what's 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 the what's the biggest thing? What is it? Um, it's it's mobile games, right? So mobile games are growing the fastest. They uh, they 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 have the the biggest chunk of the market. Um, and, you know, people playing mobile games, they don't usually have their headphones in, plugged in. So they play, you know, without, they play on silent and stuff. Um, and a lot of them are also like casual games with um, not so much, um, you know, they're, they're little and no cutscenes at all and things like that. So um, uh, a lot of them are puzzle games, evergreen puzzle genres, like, you know, solitaires and, and, and stuff like that. Like, you wouldn't normally get um, dubbing there. Uh, that said, I would say even even mobile games sometimes have voiceover. Like for example, one of our uh, you know favorite customers is Nordcurrent. They have these amazing um, hidden object games, right? Uh, like Murder in the, in the Alps and and uh, Murder by Choice. That have maybe like they're, they're huge. They have maybe hundred million uh, hundred million players or something. Um, and they have uh, English voiceover, which we record in Dublin. And you may be surprised, but people, players get really attached to the the way the way it works in console and PC gaming. Actually, we were surprised to see that players of Murder in the Alps they're in love with the character with with the voice actor um, doing the voice for these protagonists, right? So when the when when the when North Current switched to us for voiceover, 
we had to keep the voice actress right and the voice talent, and um, that was really interesting. You know, that that came as a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just to kind of understand like a little bit more, you guys mentioned like the culturalization. Uh, can you explain more about that aspect in, in game localization, how, how that affects, you know, instead of just text to text translation, there's, you know, sensitivity sure. issues yeah. that, that surrounds that as well. I see Marina smiling. She probably has some good some good uh, stories to tell. Um, I have a couple as well, and I will chime in later. Uh, well, text to text requires culturalization as well, because every game has a rating. Every game has its content that could be considered a little bit offensive in this country. For example, uh, drinking in German uh, is not really well perceived for the games with lower age ratings. And it requires a lot of knowledge of what we can and what we cannot do in this particular market. So even the text localization requires a lot of thought about the culture. But what we do as well is culturalization analysis. It could be done at early stages of the development when we Uh, send the game build over to our specialists. They play a little bit and give their feedback about what could be considered offensive. For example, the mask in the game location should not be should be the tallest building and the other buildings should not be taller, for example, that. And we had a really funny case. We finished a culturalization analysis just before the COVID hit. And there was an antagonist in that game wearing a hazmat suit. And it was an antagonist and uh, really, really bad guy in the game. And everything went great there. But when the COVID began and people wearing hazmat suits started to be considered heroes, like doctors and the essential workers. So we immediately wrote to the clients and said, well, let's reconsider that skin uh, because it could be considered offensive nowadays, like everything changed now. And they did. And the game was was quite well perceived, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can chime in with a couple more examples what culturalization um, adds to the table. One example I remember when we were doing uh, Valiant Hearts, uh, localizing Valiant Hearts for Ubisoft into one of the languages, we had to um, we had like two. Well, the, the Valiant Hearts is a is an adventure game about World War One, right? Which Ubisoft, one of our uh, you know favorite clients, they. They, they were one of the few game companies actually globally who paid attention to the centenary anniversary of the of the First World War. And they made this amazing game about, um, you know, a German character, a French character. And, you know, there was a dog and there were, you know, um, there were just, a, you know, during the First World War and there was romance and there was, you know, families were breaking up and people were dying. It was a very, very touching um, adventure game. With simple mechanics, but very, very powerful characters and story, and we had historical historian, history uh, specialists, you know, experts um, consulting us and working on the game. But also um, for the game, we expanded the 
uh, the encyclopedia. So the game comes with an encyclopedia of uh, um, of um, concepts and things that were meaningful a hundred years ago, right? Which people don't even wear today. They don't even know what these things meant. So we expanded this encyclopedia and replaced, suggested some replacements in this encyclopedia, say for the Eastern uh, European audiences to make it, to make more sense to them, you know, because they, you know, the uniform, what kind of uniform they wore was different from say French soldiers or from, the, from what German soldiers wore. Um, so that's, that's culturalization for you. Um, and quite recently, I think we just finished, or we haven't even finished the 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 um, working on a project. I can't unfortunately name the client; it's on the under NDA. But uh, we have been working on a historical game, um, a very famous franchise. So they're making a new title in the in the franchise, and the title, the specific title, is developed by a Chinese developer. Um, and the the development team is great; it's amazing. But they have their own perspective of things, especially and of you know um, their his separatist, different his historical perspective on things. But this uh, uh, you know historical history themed video game is to be shipped globally. So we don't want want people to get offended. We don't want players to get triggered and. Um, we also, this is kind of the reactive part. We don't, we don't want trouble for our clients, for, for the game companies, right? But we also want the games to be kind of better and more accessible and more fun, which is proactive side of culturalization, right? So we don't, we don't only look for red flags, like Koreans and Japanese have a thing about territory and about you know sea and they have wars in their history and stuff so it's important what you what you what you call these people who are famous historical figures and generals and you know um things like that um but also but also we want to celebrate uh, in the game we want to celebrate these famous historical figures and explorers uh make sure that they're not made fun of and that they that you know their um their achievements are highlighted in a nice way which is which it can be very tricky especially when you come to uh i don't know representatives of smaller nations say in south in 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 in, in the pacific and things like that so yeah it was a tricky very interesting project we had like a whole we have a narrative design team as well so we had like a a our narrative lead and narrative designers working together with the localization team to um to um, adapt, essentially, we had to rewrite the whole text content in the game, basically, because the original one was not really appropriate. Yeah, uh, for for those who, I guess we go back to the beginning a bit. Like, I'm curious how, because this is, is a very interesting uh, part of the industry. How did you guys get started <laughs> in in game localization? Like, it, like there wasn't really a clear path in my mind of how about I would go into this field. Right. If I either start right. now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can, I can tell, I can tell you a few bits about this because I'm co-founder. So, um, I, I, my background was was linguistics, um, and you know, philology and in the English language. So, um, I, I worked. For, for a bit uh, in a in a in a uh, English 
teaching school for adults for, for a while. And then my good friend, Dennis, actually, um, he was nudging me a bit and saying, you know, what do you think of, of translation, you know, stuff? Why don't you translate things? And I'm like, oh, man, listen, that's very different from teaching the English language, you know. So it's it requires different competences. I don't know um, anything about this market. But then he, he was very, very persistent. And he didn't have any, any you know, incentive in this. He was just my friend and he was kind of showing me the opportunity. So in the end, I surrendered and I said, hey, Dennis, you know what? I'm starting this translation business and I want you in. Are you in? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. So he jumped on board. He has got no relation to linguistics whatsoever. He's like a um, um, construction materials and production technology specialist, you know, very, very different um, world. So long story short, we started this translation company together. Then we had our first uh, person employee on board. That was in 2016, 17 years ago. Uh, then we started just translating stuff. Uh, it could be technical documentation, could be other stuff. But then uh, already two years later, we localized Age of Conan. And then and then we just got very lucky because uh, there was the there were these MMORPGs from China and Korea getting getting very popular. Um, you know things like Perfect World, and you know things like um, I don't know Ica Online and Jade Dynasty, and these you know big games. They had huge word counts, but not many companies could knew how to localize stuff using Chinese or Korean as the source language because normally. How localization companies work, they translate stuff from English into the target languages. So the, the, the source is usually English, whereas in this case, the source was Chinese or Korean. And essentially, our, a lot of our competitors just didn't know how to do that. So we jumped at that opportunity. And sure as, as you know, sure as hell, we were, were, were messing things up have the time you know we had a lot of issues um you know some clients weren't happy maybe a couple of clients left unfortunately but then we we were learning very quickly so we we started doing you know localizing these mmorpgs and then they started to decline and then mobile games were on the rise say maybe around 2010 or something they started growing very exponentially you know and as i mentioned before these these companies were usually on the smaller side. They didn't have as many resources as 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 as, as many resources to um, um, you know manage localization very meticulously and like hiring one vendor to do one language and hiring another to do Arabic and hiring one more to do French and whatever. So they usually wanted to have one local vendor to do all of the languages. Um, and they also wanted them to be simultaneously shipped and with a good enough quality for all these players worldwide to be happy. So we saw that as an opportunity as well and jumped in. And we didn't know how to do that at first. And then we learned. Again, we tried to learn very quickly. So I would say, you know, that's 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 how. And then we dropped everything else over all these years. Then we, we dropped all the other things that we were doing, uh, non-gaming related. So we focused on the gaming vertical. Um, so we currently do only work with game companies and we not only do translations, right? So we, we do narrative design, we do in-game art production, like 2D, 3D art, concept art, you know, um, those those type of um, projects, uh, some uh, QA, 
Um, and, but still, localization, I think, is is um, at our at our heart. I would say. So I think that's that's more or less the um, our story. And I got le- really really lucky um, getting people on board on on the team like Marina here. Marina is our head of production for localization services. So I would say two thirds of the company work under her, um, you know, leadership. Uh, maybe half the company at least, you know. So um, and she's she's super professional, and there are many other people like her. Uh, so I'm super happy to to be so so lucky. So we have about 100 people now in the company, and they're all all very very super talented. I'm I'm amazed how how talented they are. Yeah. Where where are the main languages? Uh, you guys mentioned before, like they said, you know, if they are looking for multi language support, it, it was a number between seven to ten. What yeah, what languages is, are those exactly? For Marina, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well. The main tier is like basic European languages like French, German, Spanish, uh, and Chinese, Korean, and Japanese. These are must languages for most of the multi most of the games that are released in different countries. Just because Italian, don't, the, don't forget Italian. I mean, it's, Italian is decreasing now, unfortunately. Okay. I don't know why. It's a right. pity because I'm currently in Italy and it's it's a real pity. But yeah, Italian okay. is like second tier language now. It's I hope I'm safe <laughs> saying that here. Uh, but yeah, in the recent years, there were changes. For example, uh, Spanish, European Spanish is a little bit replaced by generic Latin American Spanish, just because there are more players there. Uh, Turkish has been popular for the last three, maybe four years, three years. And now the South South Asian languages like Indonesian, Thai are very popular, Mm -hmm. especially with mobile games, just because people play more mobile games there. Yeah, it's interesting. Like people in these locations, players in in these locations that have never had access to, say, proper consoles like, you know, PlayStations and Nintendo, um, you know, whatever. So they they didn't have nothing. They didn't have a PCs or whatever. And now and now they boom have these mobile phones and stuff. So they can play and they do play on mobile phones, usually, you know, on on on, on Android phones, I think, because they're cheaper. Um so they're not as obviously not as lucrative as a market in terms of um average revenue per user, but there is so many users and they're growing quickly. And then also, I think these territories getting getting richer and richer. So these are these are kind of they're developing countries, but they're um, you know the dynamic the dynamics are really good. So um, I think these this is where the future lies, more or less. Um, people used to talk about Africa as well, but I don't think it's it's on the table just yet. I'm pretty sure it will be some at some point in the future, but so far it hasn't been. Too much of an influence, really. Yeah, um, funny, Marini, you mentioned this Italian, and it goes, it comes, it, it's totally in line with what I heard. Um, I just, I just flew back from from GDC in San Francisco a few a few weeks ago, and I was meeting clients, old and new. And there was one client who said, like, "Oh yeah, we have for for this huge game, we have like 
for for European languages, they they start they have like e, EFGS, which totally breaks the acronym EFIGS, which was um, ubiquitous, you know, all over the place. It was like you know EFIGS, English, French, Italian, German, Spanish, and E for Italian was the was the only vowel there, so that kind of made it a word like EFIGS, you know. Oh yeah, except for English as well, but. You know, um, it, it kind of was easy to pronounce. Now it's like EFGS, so shall I say FEGS or GIFs? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like it, 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 it screws things up big time. It's a pity. Mm -hmm. Is it pretty common to see trends? Some languages being, it, it sounds like that some languages over time gets more popular because of the growing gaming market there, and then others decrease. Has it been sort of decreasing? Not so much, I would say. Would you okay. agree, Marina? I think uh, overall I think, um, increase. There is more demand uh, of more rare languages now. For example, Polish. Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, the we analyzed the user sentiment on Apple Store and Google and Google Play, and we can find all the re language requests. And we analyze that, and there are trends there for sure. Like Polish and Turkish were a trend three years ago. Now, don't know. Turkish yeah, is unfortunately decreasing a little bit. What about Arabic, Marina? What do you think? Well, Arabic is a little bit tricky, and we've hosted like a localization convention several years ago, and we had an expert uh, of Arabic experts saying that. The Arabic players are very happy when the game has Arabic. <laughs> Just very happy it exists. So it's very, very rewarding. And of course, there are a lot of players and a lot of potential money running there. But Arabic is very, very tricky to localize into. It's very tricky to adapt your gaming engine to process Arabic properly just because it's uh, right to left writing and the writing is very uh, tricky and there are not a lot of fonts that could be processed and if in the line there is in the line of Arabic words there is for example an English words all, most of the game engines just go crazy and put everything back left to right. So it's very hard to, it's not very hard to localize into Arabic, but it's very hard to add Arabic in the game properly. So it requires additional steps of localization, quality assurance, several steps. And we had some bad luck with Arabic in the beginning just because it's a very complicated language and it, there is not there is modern standard Arabic which is like the written language the language where the news in the Arabic countries are but each country like Egypt Syria and so on have their own not dialects but their oh, own language their very their own language and if we are localizing a game which has a lot of contemporary lexics like slang or memes and so on, it is very hard to make the game appealing to players from different countries. So we've created a separate process for Arabic when we have 
a translator from one country and editor from another country just because we want to avoid those regionalisms. But it's still quite difficult to achieve the the beneficial results that could work in every country. Mm. So Arabic is could be quite rewarding, but it takes a lot a lot of time, a long time to localize into and process. Yeah, I just wanted to jump chime in with the thing. Um, well, basically, localization is always um, a question of return on investment, right? So it's always a balance of okay, this is how much we need to spend on localization engineering to make sure our game supports these fonts and these character sets and these whatever the the user interface is adaptable, and then we need to find and pay these you know localization vendors or maybe hire an internal team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So these are the costs of it, and then there is the potential benefit you can get out of the market. So there's always and there's always a big unknown there because nobody can predict with uh, with certainty how it's going to perform. Um, so yeah, um, it's it's just we we we've seen over the time that second tier languages were kind of getting stronger and kind of just staying there. So whereas earlier, say even like 15 years ago or 10 years ago. First tier languages were like, you know, a must have. And then second tier languages were like more rare. Uh, now it's like second tier languages are almost like, you know, they're, they're much more widespread. And then you have extra languages on top, which are kind of third tier languages or second tier languages, which are very often used as well. But seeing languages getting out of favor, out of fashion for localization is, I would say, is very rare. I don't remember any cases except for this Italian thing. Um, but yeah, getting back to these languages selection, we do help to, um, Marina mentioned, we we try to go kind of uh, start from the bottom from the player. I mean, I should probably have said from the top from the player, you know, but anyway, I mean, the bottom of the market, basically, where we have these tools that automatically parse reviews on Google Play, on Apple Store, on, on, on the App Store, on Steam, some other stores to um, automatically select reviews that mention languages, mention localization, mention voiceover, things like that. And then we automatically translate them and we automatically mark them using algorithms, including using machine learning to mark them as like positive sentiment about localization and negative or requests for new languages. So then we can get that analytics together and then combine it with our experience of um, um, localizing other games in this in this genre. And then we can get back to the client and say, hey, you know, based on our experience working in your genre and also haven't analyzed um, players' feedback and players' player reviews, we can recommend you. And also we have, uh, of course, store analytics, like we have paid subscriptions to like uh, things like AppAny and, and, or similar, so that we can also analyze how different games are performing in different territories. So we combine all of that and kind of give recommendations. So we, we don't, of course, kind of uh, guarantee anything, but we, we can, uh, you know, um, do a good job of just being reasonable and recommending things that are likely to to succeed in different territories, you know, languages that's that, that are going to be profitable. 
uh, I have a question about, um, you know, the unique aspects of game development, how that intersects with the localization process. You know, how, how do you guys manage the localization process for games that have ongoing updates, expansions, especially for mobile games, right? They're constantly updating every month or two. Yeah. Marina, I think it's for you. Yeah, we just deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not really hard, actually, because we have processes and we have good communication with the developers. It's crucial to have a person on the, on the developer side who is responsible for that. And we can adjust our process or just request something uh, additional to do our jobs better. But basically how it works is like we are sent the files for localization. It could be any format. It could be script. It could be part of the code with the words written in it. Like any content that should be localized is sent over to us with additional materials like game assets, pictures, some context, what these buttons do. And at the beginning of the game, we have a huge uh, project specs filled in uh, just for us to understand better what are the expectations of the final results, what is the target audience, what is the main vibes we're going for it's very long it has over 70 questions but it helps us to do the job better and to fit in the expectations so uh, and with the weekly updates it's not really a problem because we have all the specs already uh, confirmed we have the team of uh, project managers and linguists we have we work in a special uh, special tools like uh, computer assisted translation tools and it helps us to keep consistency throughout the translations like Demid mentioned creating glossary already glossaries like a list of all the game specific terms like character names locations achievements the currency uh, so every single time this word is mentioned in the uh, in the text, it should be translated uh, translated as it was before, uh, so the players are not confused. So these computer assessment tools helps us help us to check uh, these things and uh, just make our job a little bit easier and make us uh, help us to guarantee the quality we usually guarantee. And that is basically how it works. And with the games with weekly updates, it's not like one pack of text sent over once a week. It's never like that. Uh, it's like 5,000 words on Monday and next day, here are 10 lines we forgot. And, and on Wednesday, here are like 20 lines we decided to edit. And here is the marketing line. Here's the push notifications we need to localize. And we also localize all the marketing surrounding uh, the events and the game release. So it's very intense sometimes, but we it's part of our job. And it's like really how we live and there's nothing wrong about it. Uh, like project managers working with 15 linguists at once for one project, even if it's like 10 words 
well, okay, no problem. Uh, we know how to do that. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, Marina, let's be okay. Uh, frankly, it is a problem, right? I mean, we we can tackle it, but it's it's it can be a pain in the ass, you know. Like to be to be completely fair, but I mean, it's just it's something. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but you know, it doesn't mean that it's that it's always fun and and easy, right? So it's don't not, tell it's, the managers, please. Yeah, I mean it's it's not it's not a cakewalk exactly, right? So for example, I mean for example, EA is one of our uh, you know old customers, and uh, we 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 sometimes do like fifty jobs a day for them. What's usually I think we do about fifty jobs a day, and they can be as as small as Marina said, like translate these ten words like a marketing phrase into these languages, you know, or it can be as as big as here's this new. Um, uh, title, you know, um, content pack for this big title that 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 we're doing. Like, for example, we we do, uh, you know, Korea uh, into Korean, I think, and The Sims into Swedish, or if, if I'm Norwe- not mistaken. used to do it for Norwegian. Norwegian, yeah. Sorry, sorry. If there are any Swedes around or Norwegians listening, I'm very sorry. Anyway, um, so. Uh, it's it's hard, you know, 50 jobs a day. And I mean, even there are small jobs, they need to be delivered on time or before and, and with, with no with no um, quality issues. So that's that's tricky. And how we do it, I mean, there are several things that Marina mentioned, like, you know, um, uh, translation, uh, translation environments, tools where, where you where, where the trans where translators work on the on the translation where we have the glossaries, where you have the translation memory um, that remembers the previous translations and stuff like that. But also, we try to be very proactive in terms of um, automation. And uh, for example, we always will offer our clients to synchronize our content management systems. So uh, even, for example, like with, with one of the big clients, it was a big pain. And we were at a point where we wanted to... Um, uh, terminate working with client actually because it was so painful. There were so many jobs a day and they needed to be manually imported. The text strings needed to be imported, exported, checked, you know, uh, kicked around different tools and stuff. It was it was it was a nightmare where but then we just basically sat down with the client and said, hey, how about our localization engineers work with you guys to uh, write an API that will synchronize the text strings from your engine uh, and and in our you know in the translation environment, and then we kind of it worked very quickly. And a month or two later, it was the client was profitable immediately. You know, and I think our project managers saved, you know, I don't know at least fifty percent of that time. Now they they freed up their hands for the more the more important stuff. So. Uh, that's one of the, you know, one example how you can really, um, you know, just do things quicker. And also there is this internal things um, going behind the scenes where we have project management tools and stuff and actually very, you know, devoted, very professional project managers who will, um, you know, um, observe the deadlines. They would They would maybe wake up earlier or, you know, we have shifts as well with project managers. So um you know with with some clients i remember we had like one or two points in the day where we when we were delivering content so say if they send us um jobs before 12 o'clock in the in, uh, in before midday 
we will be able to deliver them um, a translation into 10 languages or so by the end of the day, the same day, if it's under, say, I think a thousand words, if I don't, if I remember correctly. So that, that's very tricky because you need to work with people in different time zones. Like, you know, for Japanese, you work with people living in Japan and for Brazilian Portuguese, you work with Brazilians living in Brazil. And that's, you know, as far from Japan as you can get. So that's tricky, but you know, if with the right planning, you can kind of manage it, I think. With the, uh, you guys were mentioning this before, you guys touched every piece of the market, you know, recently, you know, you guys are focusing a lot more on mobile, but are there any key differences with localizing a game between PC console and mobile platforms? For sure. Marina knows about it. <laughs> well, timing is one of the biggest differences because well, mobile games are constantly updating, constantly adding content, and everything is so much quicker there. And uh, the teams are working in sprints, and all the sp- almost every sprint ends in localization. Uh, well, this is in terms of process, and the bigger publishers that publish games, bigger games regularly, and they learned about localization the hard way, like. 10 years ago, they now have more sophisticated planning and more schedules and uh, the process is a little bit smoother just because it's not us telling them, please, let's do that. Let's do that to increase the quality. It's like they say, we want to do that. We, we're just happy about it. Uh, so the process is a difference and depending on the quality of localization process inside the developer team just because some in some companies but if there it's if it's their first game for example there is no one responsible for localizations like that poor guy who was told just send them over the files and we are asking him 70 questions about what do you want your localization to uh, be and that's a little bit tricky and that requires a little bit adjusting our processes a little bit. Uh, else, well, this space, the, the space, the physical space for the text in, in mobile games is smaller for sure. And especially when we're localizing the games from Chinese where two characters could mean the world uh, and we cannot just put a, fra- a whole phrase in that space. So you may be noticed that there are a lot of abbreviations in uh, that kind of games and it doesn't really look beautiful in most cases, but that's just because it was like three characters, three Chinese characters, and we have to keep the meaning as much as we can. Um, Also, there are some complicated processes of uh, uh, compliance uh, for uh, console games, like for Nintendo Switch, for PlayStation, and there is a list of term- special terminology like the uh, 
how the controller should be called controller and not gamepad and so on. It's different for different consoles and we have to check for that just because in most cases nobody knows about it and this will definitely fail the compliance process. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, so, one of yeah. these weird, it's one of these weird things that I'm pretty sure no player would care about or would even notice. Like, what, uh, what like, I mean, why, why care if this thing is called a console or a system, you know, like, who cares? But actually, you know, it's something that players, you know, don't really mind. Uh, but the first parties like Sony and Microsoft, they're really particular about these things. So. And I mean, translators, well, if when, when they maybe are just recently, they just recently started doing game localization, you know, they they don't care. And like for, you know, from from common sense point of view, you'd say for a good reason, they don't care. They, they kind of focus on the important bits, on the conveying the emotion, emotions in the game and, you know, making it interesting and fun. Uh, but the first parties do care. And I mean, if, if you have, if a system spills into a localization where it should be a console you know uh, the um the game doesn't pass the quality uh, check uh, from the first body and the game gets delayed and you don't want to get that uh, be at that in that situation where your game is already late um so that's that's very that's a lot of stress actually um and yeah these uh, compliance is is also like marina um, it's it's both legal. It's also security. Like for big um, clients, we work with AAA clients. The security requirements are very very high. Um, like there would be these you know USB um, sticks that are shipped around. So every part of the team, no matter where they work physically in Japan or Korea or whatever, they have these you know physical tokens that you know that have all the data is stored there. You know something like that. So it's it's very it's like you know things you would see in spy movies. And stuff. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we have to go um, you know those lengths, of course, to satisfy our customers. And um, you know age risk compliance, right? There there are more risks for AAA companies uh, doing stuff for PC and console. So if there is any risk that the game may uh, not pass the target age rating, then they would rather. Uh, play it safe and you know reduce it. So in terms of localization, that means we need to be extra careful following the guidelines that Marina mentioned, like that that those specifications that have seventy questions questionnaires for our clients. You know, so they have these parts about you know what do we do with swearing, with swear words, what do we do with um, you know I don't know sex references, what do we do with uh, you know this historical references or whatever. I mean if they are there in the game in, in the original content. So these are important bits, I think, and we have to, and we had to consult our clients sometimes as for, uh, you know, um, LGBT themes. You know, for in certain territories, uh, it's not desirable to highlight those topics. So we may unfortunately have to advise our clients to be more, you know, risk averse and recommend to tone things down a bit. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in terms of language, it's very tricky now because those inclusive language practices that could be easily adapted in English, in most languages, they just don't exist. 
and they are very controversial. And if the client wants the game to be inclusive in terms of language, like adding they or adding a feminine character. And in English, it's very, very easy. It's you uh, and you and you and all they. But in most languages that have gender uh, as part of linguistics, it's very hard uh, to achieve and the newer inclusion language practices are not very really well perceived by the players and it's all kinds of chaoses uh in in several games we've already had like some in german there are two principles that are controversial that don't agree with each other principles of inclusive languages and the players were not very happy about that there were like three groups of players. The two were not happy with each other, and the second was, and the third was not happy with inclusive language language as it is. It was a nightmare. Uh, I do have one last question. Um, as we are reaching that hour mark, uh, what advice do you guys have for aspiring uh, professionals who are looking to pursue a career in? in this field in game localization localization is great if you love languages if you love other countries other cultures if you like to explore uh, localization is great but keep in mind that it's it's less romantic than you could think uh, there are a lot of guidelines there are a lot of Right. Yes, like norms, and we're sometimes we're working just like factory producing the text, mm -hmm. and <laughs> it's a really underappreciated part of the game development. And so for some people, it's very difficult to cope with that. Yeah, for 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 aspiring people who want to get into game localization, my number one um, recommendation would be um research what game localization is you know it's so easy now to have you have access to all kinds of information and you have chat gpd version 4 on top now mm -hmm. so which makes things even easier i mean don't trust it with everything but yeah mm -hmm. just in case uh i mean uh game localization is is a peculiar thing right so there are things like limits to how long text strings can be and there are these, you know, um, complications arising from different, you know, uh, language genders that are exist or don't don't exist in different languages. And things like basic things like German is is longer than English, right? So, um, you know, you need to remember, you know, keep these things in mind. Um, and in you know, in in video game localization, you you always work from the client's brief. You always work with from the client's um you know uh, requirements so you need to be prepared for that because sometimes we see very creative localizations that just don't fit the don't fit the technical requirements bill and that's unfortunate and i think you can i imagine you can teach this but but it's still you know um unfortunately well clients pay a lot of attention to those things you know and especially like first party terminology like what you know will microsoft red flag this and the game will get delayed this is this is very important 
Um, so yeah, I would say research what 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 game localization is, and then uh, when you apply for say task job, when you apply for for like um, job placement and internships and stuff, keep that in mind. Um, ask questions. Be more proactive. Like don't take things for granted. Always, if you don't understand them, something double check. Ask a question. Jump on another call. You know. Um, Things like that. Add notes to why you have look translated it this way or or, or or the other. You know, be kind of braver. That's that's very important. All right. Well, I, I want to thank on behalf of the listeners and viewers out there for for you both coming on. This is the part of the podcast where I shut up, hand the mic over to you guys to give attention to to. Uh, let the people know out there how to find you guys on social media and so on and so forth. Take it away. Right. No, I would, I would, I would probably use this in the first place to be useful to our potential clients, to game developers, but because I think most the, I guess the, the, the majority of your audience are game developers, right? Mm -hmm. Indie developers, you know, um, team members of big uh, companies and stuff. So I would I would definitely um, recommend uh, paying attention to localization engineering early on when you when you start working in your game, like um, do simple stuff like do mock translations. You know, early in the game where where you just started production, you know, translate this automatically with Google Translate or whatever, and then just see how the stuff looks in other languages that you think may be important in your game. Right to see that you you. That it's technically supported, right? Think about how you store your text strings. You know, don't have them embedded in the code. Have them, you know, have a good architecture to store those text strings because these these things will be very very difficult and painful to fix at the end. You know, if you can, maybe don't use super specific, super customized fonts because otherwise, you know, what if you decide to add, you know, Cyrillic? supporting languages or things like that you know and, and you and your language only supports western european character sets you know characters so then what do we do do we replace this beautiful font with something that looks out of place or do we or, or do you spend extra money on somebody to develop the you know a similar font for cyrillic characters you know so uh or or things like you know um thinking proactively even about the territories you want to go into because you know sometimes we, we we see people just think um they focus on one or two territories but they they haven't done research um in their game genre and they would be surprised to learn that oh you know this genre is popular in korea or it's popular in brazil you know so uh that might change your project schedule and project budget as well so have have, have the money budgeted for localization early on and um you think about localization testing as well. Who's going to do that? Do you have the resources to do it yourself? Uh, do you? I mean, ideally, you don't want to. You won't have. You don't want to have it done by you know, just your friends and college. You know, college teachers of of a certain language or something. That's that's not a good practice. So you probably want to have it done professionally. But then you know, you need to figure out how you're going to check quality because one of the I think one of the biggest challenges we have, yeah, it's 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 good we're talking about this now because I think the big the biggest challenge I face as a as a founding partner of a service provider is not only for localization but for other services too, but localization specifically, especially 
there is so, such a big focus on price. And I'm not saying price is not important. Of course, it is important. You only have so much money to spend, right? But it can't be the only thing, you know? It's very often it's like, oh, we should go with the cheapest or uh, something like that. It's 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 horrible because even I'm as an independent as an independent developer, one of the games I made in a startup, we had a European publisher, and we and the publisher wanted the game I, I was making to be localized in four languages. And uh, I said, hey, we have this. I have this localization team. They're really good. They know what they're doing. And the publisher said, no, 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 no. We've got our own guys. We'll go with them. And then I said, look, but let us at least uh, do the localization testing bit. And he said, okay, you can have the localization testing. So that was good. But we, it turned out that the German was so bad, we had to retranslate it from scratch. Italian, French, and Spanish were very bad and needed to be edited, all, all, all of it. And the publisher then had to pay us to do the edit. The edit. So in the end, the publisher paid probably around 50% more than originally budgeted, right? And, in, and instead, they could have just paid 10% more uh, uh, for us to do the job and not have it redone, you know. So uh, the general advice is be smart about like, Think what are the actual important bits for you. If quality matters for a game, which not is always the case, I mean, but I mean, what is quality for you? You know, do you want the game to be fun? Do you want to, like, what things are important? Maybe the technical things are more important or... It's it's very it can be very different, but for different games. But have a process in place to test your vendors before you choose them. Don't ever like rely on just references, uh, marketing uh, pitches and stuff like that. This is this is not a good you know way. Like the the only way is to have a proper test job, and maybe even don't 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 tell people it's a test job. Just send them a bunch of. Um, Files to localize and uh, give them a tight deadline and see how they and see how they um, you know fare with that and then then have a process to to uh, assess the quality of that and then assess other things like how fast it was how good the service was how quick the guys replied did they ask did they recommend stuff like did they recommend things to be changed and adapted for different territories and stuff you know. So this is this is the important bits, you know. Were they proactive? Were they nice to deal with? Um, so I think I think this is the most important bit. Like you can definitely we're called all correct. You can find us pretty much anywhere on the web. We, we have an Instagram. We have all kinds of um, you know social media presence and, and and everything. I won't go into too much deal there. You can even really search it all. But I mean, uh, basically, all correct is one word or even two words. All correct group is the name of the group of companies. And we do all of these services that help you ship the game and players have fun with it. Yeah, I just want to add that we were nominated for Mobile Games Awards and Dennis asked us to pitch that. And oh, yeah, ask. we actually were, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're, we're looking forward to to the uh, actual, um, you know, award ceremony. So we don't know we, if, we, if we make it to first place or second place or something. But it's already cool that we're in the shortlist of you know nominations for that award, which is pretty awesome. And I mean, um, it's it's all because of the team. And you can go. I don't really love when clients credit the team. So if 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 I go on Moby Games and I type all correct, they say, oh, you know, we're we're in Jedi Fallen Orders, you know, credits, and oh, we're in this 
you know, trials game and there's this crew game and there's, you know, anthem and stuff. And I'm like, yo, and it's not like all correct and demitation. Demitation is not even like there, you know, there's like Marina there or maybe not even Marina. There will be like project managers there and translators and editors and testers and, you know, the subject matter experts. And these are the guys who deserve it, you know, they're really, I'm, I'm really proud of them and they are really proud of their job. And it's great when they, when I can, when I see them credited there, it's, it's so, it's so rewarding. Yeah, definitely. I, I think in all aspects of game development, uh, more, more recognition is just going to oh, help. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's it's just one of those things that audio always audio overall is always like the last team to touch anything, <laughs> and then localization is like a you know a part of that. It's like the end of the credits. Yeah, so I, I definitely uh, empathize <laughs> with the the type of uh, timetables that you guys get at the end of game development. It's it's pretty pretty stressful and admirable. Um, I think giving out to getting better in this. Yeah, clients, I think there is a trend. I, I I think so. Yeah, I think like guys like Ubisoft and EA are getting better at crediting um, yeah. like their localization teams on their credit, you know, on mobile game, like in their games. Uh, it's not the case really with mobile games, which is the biggest. We need to remember it's the biggest market now, but there is no place for credits usually, you know, unless yeah. it's an indie game or like a narrative heavy game, you wouldn't normally have credits at all which is a pity and i think it need, it must be changed because yeah all the like the designers need to be credited you know what everybody you know yeah programmers and artists and all of these amazing people mm -hmm. it's true yeah i wouldn't even know where to find the credits on mobile kids <laughs> there's no there end, end credit scene yeah you're right well uh, i want to Thank you guys for, for coming on. Uh, hopefully that hour is painless. Uh, I've definitely learned a lot. It was a topic that I was very interested in. Um, being in the industry for so long. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to still find holes in, in, or gaps in my knowledge about the game industry or different departments and disciplines. So, Thanks. Yeah. I want to thank you both for coming on and sharing that knowledge. Uh, as always, yeah, all, all the description and links will be provided in each episode summary so you can find all correct and information on uh, Demet and Marina if you want to uh, get in touch with them. Uh, other than that, uh, that's it. I'll see you guys all next week. Thanks. Have fun making games.